بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد طيب let's have a quick recap the statement of the messenger عليه الصلاة والسلام احفظ الله تجده تجاهك be mindful of Allah, remember Allah, and you'll find him before you. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does it mean that Allah will be before you? Mm. That's it. Allah will be, it means Allah will be protecting you. The more closer you get to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more that you'll find Allah jalla wa az aiding you in all of your affairs. إِذَا سَأَلْتَ فَاسْأَلِ اللَّهِ وَإِذَا اسْتَعَنْتَ فَاسْتَعِنْ بِاللَّهِ If you seek, if you ask, then ask only from Allah. And if you seek help, then seek help only from Allah. Who can mention some of the points that were said regarding this? Huh? No, this particular point here. This particular point here. When the Prophet said, if you ask, then ask only from Allah. If you seek help, and seek help only from Allah. What type of points did you cover concerning this statement of the Prophet? This is similar to an ayah from the Quran. The meaning of this is similar to the meaning of a certain ayah in the Quran. Which ayah is that? Hmm? You alone do we worship and you alone do we seek help from tamam what else does this uh, statement of the prophet show us what else does this statement of the prophet show us what do we learn by this what do we get from this this statement of the prophet when he is saying remember allah not, this, not just this statement but this all the statements that have co we've covered so far remember allah and allah is going to be with you remember allah and you're going to find him in front of you huh? if you ask only ask from allah if you seek help only seek help from allah what does this tell us? What do we learn from this? Something that we mentioned last week. Ah. The oneness of Allah. Ah. Anybody? By way of this statement, we see the difference between the people that preach and teach and call towards the truth and the people that preach and teach and call towards falsehood. How? What's the thing that is different from what the Prophet is saying here in comparison to the Sufiya, the Sufis. How does this differ from them? Those that are calling to the truth are calling you to have a connection with your Lord. Rather than يعني, connecting you to themselves, the Du'at al-Batil Many of the preachers to the to falsehood, their intent, their objective behind their preaching is to connect you to themselves, to make you attached to themselves. And so, for example, they'll say, when you make dhikr, then remember my face. Prophet Muhammad, he's not doing any of this. He's saying, when you remember Allah, يعني, remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly. When you remember, يعني, remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you need help, then seek help only from Allah. If you need to ask, and ask only from Allah Jalla wa And then after that we mention the statement uh, that is found in this hadith 
that if all of mankind was to gather together in order to benefit you with something, then none of you would, none of them would be able to do so, unless Allah had uh, written otherwise, written so. Until the end of the hadith, and we said that this here is an indication of al-qadr and iman in al-qadr, iman in, in pre-decree. And then part five to Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abbas' explanation was a statement of the Prophet ﷺ when he said, come to know Allah in times of ease and he'll come to know you in times of hardship. And then we mentioned some examples, those examples that show that if you are remembering Allah, mindful of Allah, when it's an easy point in your life, then you're going to find when there is a certain difficult situation in your life, Allah will remember you. Who can remember those examples? Ammar. Uh, uh, Three men trapped in their cave with a boulder. Yani they trapped in the cave with a boulder in front of the entrance of the cave and then they made dua to Allah. Aha, and they dua that they made to Allah, they made tawassul, they sought nearness to Allah by mentioning that in a certain time of ease that I was in, I didn't do a certain sin. I did a certain act of obedience. Yani I remembered you in a certain time of ease. And each time that person made a dua, what happened? The boulder moved. Until that boulder was removed, it moved completely and they were able to exit out. So the point being is, is that if you remember Allah and you're observant of the deen of Islam, when it's an easy time in your life, then you're going to find in certain situations of difficulty, tragedy, adversity in your life, Allah will, be, Allah will remember you and He'll aid you. Part number six, this is the power that we're going to start with today. وَعَلَمَ أَنَّ مَا أَخْطَأَكَ لَمْ يَكُنْ لِيُصِيبَكَ وَمَا أَصَابَكَ لَمْ يَكُنْ لِيُخْطَئَكَ and you should know that whatever has skipped past you was never going to reach you. And whatever has afflicted you, then that was never going to pass you by. Meaning that whatever Allah had decreed in terms of your safety and your security, then uh, or whatever Allah had not decreed for your safety and your security, then that would never have reached you. And whatever Allah had decreed to reach you, then that was never going to Never going to يعني, skip past you. Why? Because whatever Allah wills, it occurs. And whatever Allah doesn't will, it shall not occur. And every single thing Allah has decreed for its occurrence to occur, then it is a must that it shall occur. And it shall never, يعني, it shall never, there is no, يعني, it shall never not happen. And every single thing that Allah has decreed not to occur, then it's impossible for that thing to ever occur. Yani re-emphasizing the fact that Iman al-Qadr is something that we are meant to have. Have to have Iman in the fact that whatever Allah has decreed to occur is going to occur and it can't be escaped. And whatever Allah has decreed not to occur in your life, not to occur in this world, then that thing can never ever be escaped. Part number seven. وَعَلَمْ أَنَّ النَّصْرَ مَعَ الصَّبْرِ وَأَنَّ الْفَرَجَ مَعَ الْكَرْبِ وَأَنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ And you should know that victory comes with patience. And relief comes with adversity, and that with difficulty comes ease. So Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he says, 
في هذه الجمل الثلاث بيان حصول النصر مع الصبر والفرج مع الكرب واليسر مع العصر وأن الصبر ينتج عنه ينتج عنه النصر بإذن الله وأن الكرب والشدة يكشفه يكشفها يكشفها الله بالفرج الذي يعقبها وأن العصر يعقبها اليسر من الله عز وجل. يعني that the result of a person being patient when he's afflicted with a tragedy, when he's afflicted with an adversity, the result of that patience is removal of that difficulty that he's in. This is a qaida, this is a principle that a person should have established and embedded within himself. That tragedy and adversity, a loss of life, a loss of wealth, a loss of fruits, these things are inevitable in life. You're going to be faced in life with problems as far as your wealth is concerned. And that one day wealth is good and money is good and, it's com and income is good. And then a day is going to come where Allah is going to test you. And your wealth is going to decrease. The fruits are going to decrease. The provisions of life, they're going to become scanty perhaps. What should you do in that, in that circumstance? That circumstance of difficulty? Exercise patience. If you exercise patience, then as a result, as a result, as a consequence of having exercised that patience, you're going to find this nasr, you're going to find this victory, this aid, this support coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A person is tested in life with a loss, loss of life, a loss of life of your loved ones, a loss of life of your parents, a loss of life of your child, a loss of life of those that you are close to. But if you are patient in the face of that karb, in the face of that tragedy, as a result of being patient in the face of that tragedy, something is going to come out of it. Something is going to be born out of it. What's going to be born out of it? Al-Faraj. Being delivered from that tragedy. Being taken out of that adversity. Being taken out of that pain. Many people, when it comes to, when it comes to times of ease, they'll practice Islam. They'll be good Muslims. They'll be observant of the deen. They'll be righteous. They'll remember Allah, seemingly. But as soon as the time, the testing time of life comes, as soon as life becomes difficult for them, as soon as life becomes testing for them, as soon as the inevitable tests of life come heading his way, come heading her way, then they start to become weak in the deen. Then they start to become weak in their practice of the deen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in his book, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَعْبُدُ اللَّهَ عَلَىٰ حَرْفِ Among mankind are those people who worship Allah ala harf. They worship Allah on the edge. إِنْ أَصَابَهُ خَيْرٍ إِطْمَأَنَّ بِهِ If good reaches him, then he is happy with that. He's content with that. وَإِنْ أَصَابَتْهُ فِتْنَةٍ but when fitna strikes him, when difficulty strikes him, when the inevitable tests, when the inevitable trials of life, when they afflict him, he turns back upon his, <coughs> he turns back upon his face. 
He loses the dunya and he loses the afterlife. That is the manifest form of loss. This ayah, it was revealed concerning a people. Those people who would embrace Islam in the time of the Prophet Muhammad They would embrace Islam. They would come to Al-Madina, Bedouin Arabs, for example, embrace Islam. After they've embraced Islam, they go back to their village, they go back to where they came from. If it was the case that in that year, provision was good, money was good, wealth was good, the uh, cattle, they were healthy, the wife was giving birth to children and therefore, yani, he had provision of children. There wasn't any drought as far as his farm, as far as his, uh, there wasn't any uh, drought as far as, yani, as far as his provision was concerned. Rain was coming down, ground was fertile, crops were growing, so life was good. So when that was the case, when it was the case that after he had embraced Islam at the hands of the Prophet ﷺ, become a Muslim, and now the year has been good, everything's been fertile, every provisions have been good, life has been good, then he would say, this deen is deen of khair, it's deen of goodness, it's a good deen, it's a good religion, and that this goodness that I've got, it's, it, I've got this goodness because of my Islam, because I became Muslim. Because I became Muslim, ah, now my provisions have been nice and healthy. Now my wealth has been nice and nice and good. My, uh, I've been, يعني, alhamdulillah, I've had a son and so on and so forth. So now all of that has, be, has happened because I became a Muslim. But if it was the case that this person ended up being tested now, testing with this very same thing, that the Prophet ﷺ mentions in this hadith. He mentions uh, يعني, karb, tragedy, loss, uh, 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 disaster, uh, adversity, these type of things. When that person who became Muslim was afflicted with tragedy, was, was afflicted with test and trial, then he would say what? He would say, oh, I've only had this su'al hab. I've only had this unfortunate circumstance this unfortunate circumstance of loss of provisions this unfortunate circumstance of not having any children this unfortunate circumstance of my cows and my goats becoming weak and not producing milk this has only happened because of this deen that i embraced because of this islam that i embraced this deen there's not much good in it why because of the fitna that he was afflicted with as far as his worldly matters are concerned, as far as his life is concerned. So this ayah was revealed for those people. It's applicable for them and it's applicable for anybody and everybody after them. Because as the principle goes, that the ibrah is not bi sabab. The thing that is given consideration isn't the actual reason for which the text was revealed. But the ibrah is with umum al-lawd. 
The ibra is with the underlying reason for which the ayah was revealed. Ayah was revealed concerning a people who would, when they were, when they were not tested in life, they would say, yes, this Islam is good. But when they were tested in life, then they would start wobbling, quote-unquote, wobbling in their deen, shaking in their deen. Some of them would end up attributing the harm that they would receive in life to Islam. So that there is not just applicable to them, but applicable to anybody, even today. That when money is good, wealth is good, I've got a good job. Bills are being paid, no problems from the council as far as council tax and what have you is concerned. Alhamdulillah, I'm, I want to be a good Muslim. I like this Islam. I like this Sunnah. I like practicing the manhaj of the Salaf. Why? Because it's easy. Marital life is good. I've got good relationship right now with my wife. I've got a good relationship right now with my husband. I'm going to become a good Muslim. I'm going to practice this Islam. As soon as, however, things become different, wealth now becomes less, income becomes less. As soon as I leave, as soon as my job, I become sacked from the job that I was working at for 10 years. As soon as marital life becomes difficult, my husband is becoming abusive now. My husband, he is becoming hard to deal with now. Life at home is becoming very difficult. He's becoming very demanding now. Now, because of that test, he or she starts to, quote-unquote, wobble in their deen, shake in their deen. The beard becomes now trimmed. The jilbab, it starts to go now. The hijab, it starts to drop down now. Now, you become, laxy, you become lax as far as music is concerned. Oh, no problem. I'll just have a one-off listen to it. I feel down in the dumps. Let me turn the music on, listen to it. It's going to lift my spirits and then after that I'll stop. Why do people end up like this? Because asabatu fitna. Fitna reached him. Fitna, the tests, the trials, the inevitable tests, the inevitable trials of life have afflicted him. The trial of losing wealth, the trial of losing family members, the trial of losing, of losing income, the trial of, of marital life, of domestic life. That has now afflicted him. As a result of that, he becomes weak in their deen. But rather, the lesson that we learn from this statement of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, is that when you're afflicted with difficulty, with tragedy, with test, inevitable tests in life, you have to be patient. Because that patience will result in something. It will give birth to something. What will it give birth to? It will give birth to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's aid coming in your way. It will give birth to the deliverance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the tragedy that you, that you are in. Tamam. Now part number eight. Part number eight, Mimma yustafadu min al-hadith. The benefits of this hadith. And they are 12. Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he mentions 12 benefits. Number one, that from the Annaman Hafidha Hudud Allah Hafidahu fi dunyahi wa dunya. Whoever protects the boundaries of Allah, then Allah shall protect him in terms of his deen and in terms of his dunya. Number two, 
Annaman adha'a hudud Allah La yahsul lahu al-hifzu min Allah Kama qala nasullaha fanasiyahum Number two Whoever squanders Whoever transgresses Against the hudud of Allah The boundaries of Allah Then he shall not attain the hifz from Allah He shall not attain The protection from Allah If you Forget the boundaries of Allah by going against them, by falling into the muharramat, by becoming negligent concerning the wajibat, if you forget Allah, then yes, Allah will forget you, as He has said in this ayah. Nasullah fanasiyahum. They forgot Allah, so Allah forgot them, meaning He left them to their own devices. He didn't take care of them. Number three, that jaza min jinsil amal. The recompense for something is in accordance to the actual action that is being recompensed for. So, فَالْعَمَلْ حِفْظُ وَالْجَزَاءِ حِفْظُ The action that the person did was حِفْظُ was protecting, safeguarding, protecting and safeguarding the boundaries of Allah. The action that the person did was حِفْظُ protection and therefore the jaza, the recompense, the reward is going to be him, is going to be protection. The action was protecting the boundaries of Allah and therefore the reward is protecting you, Allah protecting you as far as your deen and your dunya is concerned. So as the qaida goes, al-jaza min jins al-amal, the action is, the reward is based upon the action. Number four, that a person the slave is to ensure that his worship and his seeking of help is only from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That his worship is only directed to Allah. And that his seeking of help, those matters that nobody from creation can help you in, should, di should be directed solely to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number five, this hadith indicates iman in al-qadr. Number six, أن العباد لا ينفعون ولا يضرون إلا إذا كان النفع والضرر مقدرين من الله. Number six, nobody can help you. Nobody can harm you. Nobody can benefit you, and nobody can harm you, except if that benefit and if that harm were preordained, were already decreed from Allah سبحانه وتعالى. Number seven, that no benefit occurs to a slave except what was decreed. And that, وَلَا يَنْدَفِعُ وَلَا يَنْدَفِعُ عَنْهُ ضَرَرْ إِلَّا إِذَا كَانَ مُقَدَّرًا And that harm cannot be repelled from him except if, the, if that was already decreed. مَا شَاءَ اللَّهُ كَانَ وَمَا لَمْ يَشَأْ لَمْ يَكُنْ Whatever Allah wills occurs and happens. Whatever Allah does not will, does not occur. Number eight, that patience is succeeded, followed on by victory. Number nine, that calamity, disaster, tragedy is followed by Deliverance from that tragedy, deliverance from that calamity, deliverance from that difficulty. 
Number 10, أن العصر يعقبها اليسر That difficulty is followed by ease, when hardship comes ease. Number 11, تواضعه صلى الله عليه وسلم وملاطفته الصغار The humility of the Prophet عليه الصلاة والسلام and his mulatafa, his kindness, his gentleness towards the little ones, the children. Number 12. At-taqdeem bayna yaday dhikri al-amr al-muhim bima yahfizu al-nufus ilayhi liqawlihi sallallahu sallam ala u'allimuka kalimat. That a person should put forth before he's about to mention something important he should mention something that will make the souls inclined and attentive towards what you're about to say. Just like the Prophet said, I'm about to teach you some words. When the Prophet said, I'm about to teach you some words, now the listener, he becomes more inclined and attentive towards what is about to, what is about to be said to him. Tamam. So those are 12 benefits. Before we move on to the next hadith, does anything need to be reiterated? Sheikh Ahmed, I've seen you looking at your paper while I was speaking. You missed six and you missed number nine. Ah, what about you, Ali? Yeah, العبرة ليست بخصوص السبب بل هو بعموم اللفظ ولكنه بعموم اللفظ هكذا تمام آه 6 9 احمد 6 9 6 9 11 12 was I speaking too fast huh? 6 who's got number 6 noting things down Number six, that people, slaves, they can't benefit you. People cannot harm you. Except what Allah has already decreed for you. Except that benefit and that harm that had already been decreed. People can't harm you. People can't benefit you. Except that benefit and that harm that was already penned down and inscribed in Allah al mahfuz That was number six. Number six and number nine, huh? Number nine. Number nine was four words. Four words. What's, what are they? Ah. With difficulty. Yani, uh, number nine was uh, with tragedy. Yani, tragedy and karb. Yani, disaster, calamity, affliction. That type of meaning. That is followed by deliverance. You're on a boat. The boat, it's... I don't know, capsizes and you're in the ocean and then you find, then you come to the surface of the sea, you find a plank of wood, you're in disaster, you're in Karab right now, you're in disaster. But that will be followed by Al-Faraj, deliverance. Ah, uh, number 11 and 12, eh? number 11, number 11, it's related to the Mu'amala. The interaction of the messenger with his cousin Ibn Abbas. Uh. Yeah, very good. Number 11 is 
the number one the humility of the prophet because he is riding on a riding beast and he has a passenger on the riding beast as well he's not making him get down and um, yeah, and he drive the drive the horse or ride yeah, and take the horse by the reins he has a passenger small little boy has a passenger behind him so, so that shows the tawadr the humility of the prophet and likewise the way that he speaks to ibn abbas indicates his mulatafa his gentleness his kindness towards ibn abbas and number 12 is that a uh, the mentioning of some before you mention something that is important something that people need to pay attention to and people need to remember mention a small brief introduction a small brief muqaddim a brief introduction that is going to make them attentive and inclined towards what you're about to say for example the prophet said oh young man i'm about to teach you some words so that made ibn abbas pay close attention to what is to be said anybody anybody besides the regulars anybody besides no tamam yalla ya adam iqra so this is the hadith of al-mas'ud Uqba ibn Amr al-Ansari al-Badri he said that the Prophet sallallahu said that among the speech that people have come across among the speech of previous prophethood that people have come across meaning people today have come across in the time of Prophet Muhammad indeed among the speech of previous prophethood speech that previous prophets made that has reached us today indeed among the speech of previous prophethood that people have come across is if you have no shame then do as you wish if you have no shame then do as you wish reported by Imam al-Bukhari Shaykh Abdul Muhsin al-Abad his explanation to this is essentially one big point or one part one main part second part as we know it is just a summary of the benefits that one main part consists of several points he's mentioned several points within there points that he's taken from Ibn Rajb al-Hanbali's explanation to Arba'in al-Nawi so what does Shaykh Abdul Masjid al-Abad he mentioned here that this speech here, this speech that the messenger said, this is a statement that was obviously spoken by previous prophets. Previous prophets said this type of statement. If you have no shame, do as you wish. Previous prophets spoke it. And it was passed down generation to generation to generation up until it reached the era of Prophet Muhammad people that lived in the time of Prophet Muhammad came across 
this statement. This statement the previous prophets spoke with. And it became circulated amongst people, transmitted from one generation to the other until it reached his time. However, what we want to focus on is what does this statement actually mean? What does it mean? If you have no shame, do as you wish. What does that mean? What does it indicate? Concerning this, there are two statements from the scholars. There are two opinions from the scholars as to what this statement can mean. This statement, if you have no shame, do as you wish. It can carry two, it means two things. It has, there are two opinions between the scholars concerning this. One opinion is that it is a dham nahi. The meaning of it is a dham nahi. Dispraise and prohibition. The prophets, when they said this, and when our prophet is saying this, he's saying this to dispraise a lack of shame. He's saying this to prohibit a lack of shame. This is one opinion. One opinion of the scholars is that this statement, if you have no shame, do as, do as you wish, doesn't actually mean go and do as you wish. But the meaning behind it is dispraising having a lack of shame and prohibiting having a lack of shame. Now this prohibition of a lack of shame and this dispraise of a lack of shame, those scholars that interpret this with this meaning, they have two ways of explaining it as such. There is a group of scholars that say this hadith means lack of shame is dispraised, lack of shame is prohibited. And they explain this in two ways. One way is that the prophets and the prophet are making tahdeed and wa'id. They are threatening and they are warning from having a lack of shame. They are threatening against having a lack of shame and they are warning against having a, having a lack of shame. When the prophets said, and when the prophets said, if you have no shame, do as you wish, what they were, what they were doing was threatening against having shame. Uh, threatening against having a lack of shame. Warning against having a lack of shame. So they prohibited a lack of shame and they dispraised a lack of shame by wording it, uh, 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 by wording it by, 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 as a threat, by wording it as a caution, by word, wording it as a warning against having a, having a lack, of, lack of shame. An example of that is, for example, when Allah says in the Quran, I'malu ma shi'tum. Allah says in the Quran, I'malu ma shi'tum. Do as you wish. Innahu bima ta'maluna basir. Indeed, he is watching what you do. He is seeing what you do. Allah says in the Quran, Do as you wish. Indeed, He, Allah, He is seeing what you do. When Allah says, Do as you wish, does that mean? Do as you, literally, do as you wish. Is it an amr? Is it a command? Do as you wish? No. He's threatening us. He's cautioning us. 
He is warning us. This is a tahdeed and wal-wa'id. Threatening and cautioning and warning. That if you do what you wish, against my wish, against my will, then I'm going to punish you. Then you're going to get what you deserve. Likewise, Allah has said in the Quran, فَعْبُدُوا مَا شِئْتُمْ فَعْبُدُوا مَا شِئْتُمْ مِن دُونِهِ Worship whatever you wish from those things besides Allah. Worship whatever you want to worship besides Allah. Obviously, Allah isn't commanding us to worship things besides Him. He means this as a wa'id. He means this as a threat. As a threat and a warning against worshipping things besides Him. So the Prophet ﷺ, so here in these two ayat that we've mentioned here, Obviously, Allah is dispraising doing what we wish against His will. Allah is obviously dispraising us, dispraising the act of doing what we want against His will. And He is prohibiting us, obviously, from worshipping things besides Him. How is He doing it? By threatening us. Or by threatening, threatening those, who, those to whom this addressment concerns. He is threatening them. He's cautioning them, he's warning them, and thus it is a prohibition. Thus it is a dispraise concerning that, that particular action. Is everybody following, yeah? Okay. So, so far we have said, this hadith, this statement, if you have no shame, do as you wish. There are two opinions from the scholars concerning this, the, concerning the meaning of this. One meaning is that it is... Dispraise and prohibition. Prohibition of a lack of shyness. Dispraise of a lack of shyness and a prohibition against having a lack of shyness. This meaning to this hadith, this meaning which is a prohibition and a dispraise, is explained in two ways. One way is that it is it is a tahdeed wal wa'id a threat and a cautioning the wording is a threatening and a cautioning against having a lack of shyness the second tariqa the second explanation to this particular interpretation of this hadith is that it is a khabar it is a khabar. Yani that the one who doesn't have shyness, he will do as and how he wishes. Okay? I wish I had a... Is there a whiteboard here? It would be easier to explain it in a whiteboard, but you have the hadith and you have two opinions to it. Okay? So if you just follow my hands right now, imagine it's a flow diagram. Right? Or a, sp a spider diagram. You have the hadith there are two opinions the first opinion is that the hadith the wording of the hadith is dispraise of having a lack of shyness and a, 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 a prohibition against having a lack of shyness how is it a dispraise of having a lack of shyness how is it a prohibition against having a lack of shyness well there are two explanations to that one is that the wording is a threat against having a lack of shyness is a warning against having a lack of shyness. The second is that it is information concerning the one that has a lack of shyness. 
It's information about the one that has a lack of shyness. What's the information that the Prophet is providing us with? That the one who has a lack of shyness will do as and how he wishes. He'll do as and how he wishes. Okay? Both of them are included within the opinion of the scholars that this hadith is them wa nahi prohibition and disparage um, dispraising having a lack of shyness okay everybody following perhaps next week if there is a whiteboard then we can re-explain it again huh? Uh, after Eid. Yes, not, not next week, obviously. Next week is Eid. But then this one, it'd be much more easier if you could visualize it. Visualize it. And if we had a whiteboard, and then we could perhaps uh, draw a diagram. Draw a diagram. Yeah. It's not, then I've just realized it's not going to be fair on the sisters. Perhaps if we make a worksheet, a little diagram, and then next week we'll bring the worksheet, and then you, everybody can have a look at it. That'll be much more easier. That is something that we find Abu Iyad, Hafizahullah Ta'ala, uh, he has yani many of his, in some of his lessons that he used to conduct in Leeds that I used to attend, uh, he would have flow charts and diagrams that he would provide for us to visualize his lessons. And if you go on to the website, many people, they don't use the website anymore, anymore spubs.com. spubs.com, if you go on that website, then if you go to the bottom right-hand corner of the column, there is a section there called Salafi College. Salafi College, if you go in there, there are a series of lessons in there where Abu Iyad, he uses these type of diagrams and, and yani flowcharts and what have you. Why? Because visualization obviously helps retention of the knowledge. In fact, the next series that we might begin, which might be on the biography of the Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, the intention is to use a PowerPoint presentation because it is difficult to follow the content of these lectures without there being some type of visualization uh, concerning the topics that are being covered. So anyway, going back to the point, the first opinion is that the hadith, the meaning of the statement, if you have no shame, do as you wish, meaning the Prophet is prohibiting from having a lack of shame. and warning against having a uh, lack of, or prohibiting against having a lack of shame and dispraising having a lack of shame. And then there are two tariqas, two ways that that explanation uh, is arrived at. The second opinion of the scholars now, now we're going to go to the second opinion. The second opinion of the scholars is that the Prophet is actually commanding us to do as we wish. The Prophet is actually commanding us that if you have no shame, do as you, do as you wish. Okay, well, we, mean, we, need to, sorry, we need to elaborate upon the uh, previous part. The previous part that it is khabar, that it is information. The Prophet is saying that the one who doesn't have shame will do as he wishes. That is similar to the statement of the Prophet ﷺ who said, that man kathaba alayya falyatabawwa maqa'adahu minannar Whoever lies against me, the Prophet said Then let him take his seat in the fire of hell Let him take his seat in the seat 
of the fire of hell. Here the Prophet, if you look at it, the wording is similar to the hadith that we're studying right now. In the sense of the Prophet said, if you have no shame, do as you wish. So it seems as though it's a command. The Prophet said, if you have no shame, do as you wish. So it seems as though it's a command. But in reality it's a khabar. In reality it's a khabar. Just like the statement of the Prophet when he said, whoever lies against me, then let him take his seat in the fire of hell. It's like it's a command. Whoever lies against me, then let him take his seat in the fire of hell. Meaning, go and take your seat in the fire of hell. So the wording of it, a person would assume as, as that it is, it is as though it is a command. But it isn't a command. It's actually a khabar. It's information. What's the information? Whoever lies against me, then his seat is going to be in the fire of hell. Whoever lies against me intentionally, then his seat is going to be in the fire of hell. So the literal wording of it, it is as though it is a command, but the meaning of it is a khabar. The meaning of it is information. What's the information? That that person's seat is in the fire of hell. So similar to that is this hadith that we're studying right now. That whoever has no shame, let him do as he wishes. If you have no shame, do as you wish. Meaning, the one who has no shame, he will end up doing whatever he wants. Because the only thing that prevents a person truly from not adopting the dispraised things, the inappropriate things, the immoral things, the prohibited things is shyness and shame. Shyness and shame is the primary preventative barrier between you and haram. You and rada'il, doing immoral things and corrupt things. The main thing that prevents a person and should prevent a person from doing corrupt, immoral things is haya, is shyness. So when a person is stripped and deprived of that shyness, then he's going to do whatever he wants. Then he's going to do whatever mother he wishes. So therefore, based upon the first opinion of the scholars, the first opinion of the scholars that this hadith is an-nahi wa-dham, it is prohibition and it is uh, 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 dispraising having a lack of shyness. One explanation to that is that it is wa'id and tahdeed, it is warning and it is a threat. The second explanation is that the Prophet is informing us that the one who has no shyness, that he will have, uh, he will do as he wishes. That the one who has no shyness, he will do as he wishes. I hope the brothers have been able to follow that to some degree. Inshallah ta'ala, next week we'll put the uh, uh, presentation out as far as the diagrams are concerned. The second opinion, and then we'll quickly close with this. The second opinion is that the Prophet is actually saying. The second opinion of the scholars is that the Prophet is actually saying, if you have no shame, do as you wish. Actually go and do as you wish. It's an actual command. Do as you wish. How? How? How can the Prophet be actually commanding us to do those things that we have no shame concerning? Meaning, if those things aren't those things 
that you're meant to be shy about anyhow. If those things aren't those things that you're not meant to have any shame about anyhow, then do them. Like, for example, what? You gave me a verbal nod there, so I'm going to have to now ask you. Give me an example. The Prophet, according to these scholars, means if the things that you're doing are those things that you're not meant to be sh shameful about anyhow, then do them. Like what? Salah. Like worship, for example. Like worship. So, obviously, Salah, praying, isn't something that you're meant to be, you're meant to be, you're meant to be shy about anyhow. Therefore, do it. Do as you wish. Do it. If you want to do it, do it. Well, then, this is one explanation of the scholars. You want to be good and smile in the face of your brother because it is sadaqah, because it is, smile, it is charity. Don't be shy about it. Smile in the face of your brother. Do it. If you have no shame, no shyness, no shyness in this context, no shyness, do as you wish. Meaning, if that thing you're not meant to be, if that thing that you want to do, if that thing that you want to do isn't something that you're, you're meant to be shy about anyhow, then do it. Then do it. Like worship. That's one opinion of the, of the scholars. And then after that, Shaykh Abdul Mahsin Abad, he mentions something from Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali about uh, shyness. And that shyness is either something that is embedded within you, you're born with it, or it's a characteristic that is acquired. But inshallah ta'ala, we'll go over that next week. Yes, Akhi? Yeah, yeah. Conscience? No. Yeah, conscience. No, I mean, you might have to elaborate upon it, but on the face, on the face of that question, no. Conscience, what you're thinking in your mind? You think what you're aware of in your mind? No, that's something separate. Yeah, that's something. Con your conscience is something separate. That's just thoughts that are in your mind. Is that what you're referring to? Conscience. Like a guilty conscience. Like you, you've done something. I, yeah. Why did I do that? Remorse, yeah. That's something. That's good. No, 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 no. Um, no, no. That there is called muhasaba. Uh, um, reckoning yourself. Taking yourself to account. Okay? That there is different. Yeah, I, I understand what you're referring to. A guilty conscience that you have, guilty conscience that you have over a sin that you've committed, or of something wrong that you've done. Right? That there is separate. That there is something that you're not meant to be shameful about. Are you with me? Yeah. It's not. You're not meant to be shy about that, because it's something that you're meant to be remorseful concerning. It's a sin that you've committed, and part of repenting is to be remorseful about that sin that you've concerned. That there is an act of worship. So if a person starts to rebuke himself, reprimand himself about a sin that he's committed, he says, oh, why did I do that? It's on his head, it's playing on his mind. Why did I do that? That there is an act of worship. And it's a tremendous act of worship. In fact, some of the, sort of, some of the early scholars of Islam, they would say that sometimes a person can achieve, sometimes a person can achieve in one moment of this 
conscience, this guilty conscience, this guilty remorse that a person goes through. A person can achieve such a high, high station in front of Allah just by this guilt, guilty conscience that a person goes through. A person can achieve such a high station just by doing that than he could have achieved in a great amount of physical acts of worship. Are you with me, yeah? That's how good this thing that you're referring to is. Being remorseful about what you've done. You're shameful about an act that you've done. A sin that you've done. Yeah, that's different. But what the Prophet is referring to here, those matters, as far as the first opinion is concerned, those matters that you're meant to be shameful about, those matters that you're meant to be shy about, you're meant to be shy about disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're meant to be shy. So Prophet Muhammad alayhi salam is here prohibiting us, telling us not to do those things that we should be shy about. A person should, for example, be shy about using foul language, for example. A person should be shy about that. So when the Prophet is saying, if you have no shame, do as you want to, meaning don't swear. He's not literally, he doesn't literally mean swear now and use foul language. He means that swearing is something that a person should be shy of. Using foul language is something that a person should be shy concerning doing. Why? Because he knows that his Lord is watching him. So when the Prophet is saying this, when he's saying, if you have no shame, do as you want to, meaning don't do those things that you're meant to be shy about. Don't do those things that you're meant to be shameful about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes, what about me? Oh, <laughs> that's a series of lectures. Yeah. There's major sins, there's minor sins. Yeah. That, that would be a series of lectures in itself. I think, I think Hassan al-Somali, yeah, he's going through that series right now. What lecture is he on now? Lecture number six. 12. <laughs> so it's not it's something that could be answered in 30 seconds. But there are major sins like, uh, uh, yeah, there are major sins. Those, those sins, such as, for example, murder, drinking alcohol, and what have you. Uh, no, not white lies. White lies that would be considered. Uh, for example, looking at those things that isn't prohibited for you to look at, these would be considered minor sins, what have you. But that there is a series of lectures. Uh, maybe you should listen to Hassan al-Somali, uh, his lectures on this matter. Uh, there's a... Uh, send him the link. One of our teachers, Sheikh Hassan al-Somali, he lives in Philadelphia, but he's originally from England. He's conducting lectures on this topic. So Ahmed will send you the link and go through them, inshaAllah. Okay? Anything else? Barakallahu feekum. Imam Ikhwans will conclude at that point.